together. Almighty God, thank you for an opportunity to be in your house this morning, to be in your presence, to be with brothers and sisters in Christ, to celebrate your love again. Lord Jesus, as we remember this morning that that visit you received from the wise men, may our hearts be excited about following in their footsteps, being wise and opening our hearts to you. This morning, Lord Jesus, may we offer our lives to you. And may we experience you as we worship you together. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How many of you watched the Steelers last night? Raise your hand. How many watched to the end? Keep your hand up. All right, now I want you to look around. No, keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. I want everybody to look around because if you sit near one of these people, the game ended at 1230 this morning. So they may need a little uh, encouragement once in a while. Get the elbow ready. (laughs) No, I, I understand they won. Wow. Miracles do happen. Just want to say that up front. Uh, this morning, we're, gonna, uh, we're celebrating Epiphany. I know we're a week late, uh, but that's because your pastor got a little confused on dates. But we don't want to miss the celebration of Epiphany, which, of course, is the celebration of the wise men going to Jesus and offering their gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh and sharing with with them, with Jesus, and that whole story. So this morning, we're looking at Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 12. I'm going to put my glasses on first, because I hate making it up halfway through and having to fix it. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen on the, in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of incense and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, They returned to their country by another route. May God add God's blessing to the reading and hearing of this God's most holy word. What had to happen? Star Wars. Wars. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. By the way, how how many of you have seen Star Wars? How many of you have seen the movie? No spoilers. No spoilers? How many of you want to see it and haven't seen it yet? Okay. All right. All right. 
All right, well, uh, many, many of you have seen it. Um, I'm not going to talk a whole lot about the movie. I will say, however, though, it's the same story, isn't it? As a matter of fact, if you, if you watch all the Star Wars, they're, they're really the same story over and over again. Wouldn't you agree with me? I mean, the, the story is the story of good versus evil, right? Uh, that, that's what it's all about. That's what Star Wars is all about. This morning, by the way, in, in our passage, there's a star, and there's all kinds of wars going on. If case, just in case you missed it. And, and the wars are really the same. You see, as these wise men come, and by the way, there were probably a whole lot more than three. Uh, we, we say there are three. I, I'm sorry. Uh, you know, it's like telling people that certain things don't exist. Uh, uh, I, and I won't say what those things are in case <laughs> you still believe, you know what I'm saying? Uh, but, but there were probably more than three. Most likely, as a matter of fact, there's a high likelihood there were more than three. Uh, because, you see, we, we say there's three only because we had three gifts, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Heaven forbid someone else bring some gold and, and offer it, right? Uh, so the fact, the fact of the matter is that there were probably more than three wise men going. And as we talk about this story, it's the same story. It's the story of good versus evil. And I know you've heard this story over and over and over again, right? And you've probably sung We Three Kings and, you know, tried to smoke the rubber cigar. It exploded. And ex- uh, you, you know that song? You don't know that version? Oh. <laughs> It was, it's, the same, it's the same song, uh, Kenny, with just a little different words. Uh, we've heard the story over and over and over again. Uh, what I want you to hear this morning is this is the story of good versus evil. This is the story of God versus the evil of this world. This is the story of our lives. Are you with me? This is the story of our lives. Okay, uh, everybody check, check the Steeler fans quickly for me. Okay. <laughs> Um, uh, this is the story of our lives, good versus evil. This is the battle we find ourselves embroiled in. And the good news is God has given us a star. And that star is the one that we can follow so that we can experience the victory over evil in our lives. I believe that 100%. And the problem is, as in the Star Wars movies, as in any story on this earth, including your story. There have been times over and over again when you've looked at your life and it seemed like evil was going to have the upper hand. As a matter of fact, you may have said, I don't get it, God. You said you love me. You said I was going to be victorious. You said all those things. I've read those things in the Bible. And yet, over and over again, I'm, I'm experiencing uh, struggles and trials, and, and the evil of this world seems to continue to jump into my life. Well, I got good news for you this morning. You see, I read the end. I read the end, because I've read this story a few times. Haven't you? And if you're honest with the story, when you read the end, you find out that God wins. Okay, now if you're a Steelers fan, you can cut out. That's all you need to know. But everybody else is going to want to know the good stuff. So this morning, we're going to be talking about this, this struggle of good versus evil that we see in this passage. Now, one of the most incredible things in my mind is that God has decided in this passage to use some people who are foreigners and are pagans. They're called magi. And the Magi we first see in history, uh, in the historian, the 5th century historian Herodotus, And he tells us that there are a group of tribes that get together and they call themselves the Magi. And they begin to worship fire and light 
and they begin to worship the stars. And they actually have put together some of the most incredible astrological charts that have ever been put together. Uh, as a matter of fact, uh, historians look at them to see how the stars have changed over the years. They were so detailed. The Magi were all into the stars. And we first see that in Herodotus. Now, later on in, in history, you'll find that, that uh, King Cyrus will defeat them, and then, then we'll see... Um, his son, actually, there's a coup that, where the Magi try to take over Syria, uh, Persia, and uh, Darius, his son, takes and defeats them, uh, and totally defeats them. And, and after that, we don't see any attempt on their part to try to get political power. But they have this desire to know the stars. Something about the stars has drawn them in. Now, in Scripture, they appear not just in Matthew. Did you know that? They appear a couple other places. One place is very important. In the book of Daniel. Do you remember the story of Daniel? You, you remember Daniel in the lion's den, right? Well, I want to talk about a long time before the lion's den. When Daniel first gets captured, you see, he was most likely the son of royalty in Jerusalem. And when King Nebuchadnezzar takes over Jerusalem, he always took the wisest and the smartest back with him. And he usually took the young ones, and he took them back to Bethlehem, or to Bethlehem, <laughs> to Babylon, <laughs> took them back to Babylon. So here they are in Babylon, and here's Daniel and his friends. You remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, that's the names they were given when they got there. Daniel's name, when he got there, he was given the name Belteshazzar. You remember that? Uh, all this, I hope this is kind of clicking. Uh, you can read Daniel when you get home, okay? Great book. You, you'll want to read the whole thing. Anyway, here's Daniel in Babylon, and when he gets there, the king has a dream. You remember this? And the king doesn't know what the dream was, doesn't remember the dream. It just bugged him like crazy. And, of course, he didn't know the interpretation. So he turned to his wise men. He turns to magi. Most likely, these were magi who had been conquered by Nebuchadnezzar and who were now a part, as was Daniel, a part of Nebuchadnezzar's uh, uh, um, uh, court. Thank you. Court, that's a big word. I have a hard time with big words. Uh, and, and so here, here's the wise men there, and they can't answer Nebuchadnezzar. They keep saying, Nebuchadnezzar, tell us the dream and we'll interpret it. He says, no, 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 I don't remember the dream. Tell me the dream and interpret it. And finally he gets so mad, he decides he's going to kill them all. And he decides he's going to kill all of his court, which of course included Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Daniel says, wait a minute, wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. When they come to kill him, what's this all about? And they tell him, well, the king had this dream. Daniel says, I'll tell you what. He says, I'm going to talk to my God, the true God, and he'll give the dream and he'll give the interpretation. You remember, do you remember this? And God gives him the dream and the interpretation. It's incredible. This young man, this young boy, uh, probably somewhere around 13, 14 years old. Anybody here 13, 14? Raise your hand if you're 13, 14, somewhere close. All right, now, <laughs> there's some older folk raising their hands. I, I, I didn't mean in, in your uh, response to life. I meant literally, just think about it. If you're 13, 14, somewhere around in there, it, you end up in a foreign country, and God gives you the dream. God gave Daniel the dream. And and Daniel and gave Daniel the interpretation. Daniel shares that with the king. And the king begins to lift Daniel up. And we see in, in chapter 2, verse 8, that the king uh, puts Daniel in charge of the what? The wise men. Isn't that interesting? In charge of the wise men. Daniel, therefore, becomes in charge of the, we could, we could say it this way, he becomes in charge of the magi. Isn't that interesting? And then again, in oh, how'd that happen? 
Well, we're moving fast now. Okay, God must be saying pick up the pace or something. Okay, uh, in, chap- in chapter 4, verse 9, once again, uh, Belteshazzar, that's his name, right, uh, is now chief of the magicians, chief of the magi. And then in chapter 5, verse 11, there he is again. He's called the, the chief of the, um, and this is interesting, the magicians, the enchanters, the astrologers, and the diviners. Notice, by the way, now we have magicians and astrologers. These most likely were the magi. Why is that important? Well, can you imagine Daniel, in all his time, being chief over the magi, did not at some point share with them the prophecy that comes from Numbers chapter 24. You remember that prophecy where where Balaam says, a star will rise and a scepter will come. A leader of God's people. Think about it. Would not Daniel have shared that? Or better yet, later on when Daniel begins to prophesy, he begins to prophesy about the 77s and the seven week and how the Messiah would come after the 62 sevens. You remember this? If you don't remember this, read Daniel chapter, Daniel the whole book. Give you the whole book. It's an awesome book. But what I want you to understand is that Daniel had received a vision as to when the Messiah would appear. Can you not think that he did not share that with the Magi. All this to say that I believe that the Magi saw the star not because of coincidence, but because they were looking for it. Took hundreds of years, but they were looking for it. Can you imagine their excitement when they saw the star? And they began... To follow it. And by the way, uh, most likely took it, put a caravan together, which would have taken some time. Most likely had to raise funds, right? Anytime you go on a mission trip, you have to have a chicken dinner. So they probably had two or three chicken dinners. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, anyway, and, and they get on, on their caravan and they take off for Jerusalem. Of course, they head for Jerusalem. Why do they go to Jerusalem? Because they're headed to the east, and the, the capital of Judea would have been Jerusalem. The capital of Israel would be of Jer- Jerusalem. And if you're looking for a king, where do you go? You go to the capital. And so they head out. Now, those are the good guys. God is at work in them. Do you you see that? God has placed that star for them. God has placed Daniel in that spot for them so that they could discover the truth of God's love and grace and experience it for themselves in that little manger in Bethlehem. Not the manger, I'm sorry. Yes, thank you. Not the manger, right? That's the other thing that we sometimes miss because we always have the wise men come to the manger. But they come to a house. The, the Holy Family has obviously moved into a house. Probably Jesus has gotten old enough. They've established themselves. They are now living in a house when the Magi show up. But I get ahead of my story because you see, there's always the good, but there's always the evil. And in our story, oh, by the way, there were others looking for the king as well, which is really interesting, by the way. Uh, Suetonius, one of the um, uh, first century historians, uh, Roman historian, wrote this. He said, there it spread over all the Orient an old and established belief that it was fated that at that time for, a man, for men coming from Judea to rule the world. I just want you to stop and think about that a minute. This historian sees that it was an est- old and established belief. And then we have this historian, 
Tacitus says this, there was a firm persuasion that at this very time the East would grow powerful and rulers from Judea would acquire universal power. An old and established and a firm persuasion, where'd that come from? I want to suggest to you that years of Daniel's teaching has now worked its way through and it's become an old and established belief and it's become a firm persuasion. Just think about that. Hundreds of years before God has put things in place. Well, we have to talk about the evil as well, right? And the evil in this passage is very clear. It's King Herod. Herod the Great was an incredibly evil man. Oh, he wasn't all evil. He did a lot of uh, building projects, by the way. The aqueducts at Caesarea that are still there, you can go see them. Uh, or even go, he rebuilt the temple. And you know the Wailing Wall? Where, where they still go and, and pray for, for the return of, of the Messiah or for the Messiah to come. That wailing wall was part of the renovations or the rebuilding that carried the great maid. He wasn't a total, totally evil man, but I'll tell you what, he was pretty close. Herod was the type of guy that you didn't want to go against. That's why when the caravan arrives and Herod is disturbed, all Israel's disturbed with him because they know if Herod's upset, bad things are going to happen. They know that because Herod was busy killing his family for fear that he would be overthrown. He killed his mother-in-law. He killed his mother also. He killed his wife. He he killed three of his sons. One he killed five days before he died because he wanted to make sure his son didn't get the throne. That's the kind of man we're dealing with. He calls the, the Magi secretly to find the exact time. And we know why he wanted to know the exact time that they saw the star. Because he knew that if he was not able to get to the child before the child, uh, before, or if he didn't find out where the child was, he would be able to send his army down there. And he, he actually sends him down and kills every child two years old and younger to make sure. Where, where did he get two years? We well, got two years because... The Magi said when they had seen the star and he had figured it backwards. This is such an evil man. He calls together the chief priests or or the teachers of the law. He wants to know where was the Messiah to be born? Where is the Christ to be born? And they know in Bethlehem because it says right there in the scriptures. They say, look, it says right here in the scriptures. He's supposed to be born in Bethlehem. You know what's really sad? Do you ever stop and think about this? The, The Magi come hundreds of thousands of miles to Jerusalem, to seek the Christ child. And the teachers of the law, the religious people of the day, the followers of God, supposedly, won't go Bethlehem's less than six miles. Less than six miles from Jerusalem. Can you imagine? And they they were too busy. They were too caught up in their own lives. They wouldn't take time to go see the Messiah for themselves. Isn't that sad? You know what's really sad about that? That's true in our day today, isn't it? People get so caught up. I'm not going to point fingers. I'm not looking at anybody. (laughs) People get so caught up, don't they, in their own lives that they don't stop and do what little things it takes to have a relationship with Jesus, the Messiah. Six miles Wouldn't you think they'd be so excited that they'd just run to Bethlehem? No. Instead, they they just stay right there in Jerusalem as if the Christ had not been born. Oh, I'm sure they had reasons. I mean, after all, you know, those were foreigners saying that the the Christ was born. And and a star? Oh, come on. 
Had they not read Numbers chapter 24? What's going on in their lives and in their hearts? Or had they become so committed to Herod and his realm? Which side are they on? You see, Timothy warns us about this, folks. He says there are those who have a form of godliness but deny its power. He says have nothing to do with such people. I just want to throw that out there. If people are just going through the motions and don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, it does not change a thing. But if they've opened their hearts to Jesus and are following him, then they're going to go the extra mile. If it was 2,000 miles to see Jesus, they'd go. If he calls them to Nicaragua, for heaven's sakes, they'll go. No matter what the cost. You see, Herod is clearly the evil in this story. And he calls the Magi to him. And he says, go find him so I can worship him too. Which, of course, is just a lie. And the Magi go, and as they go, they're warned not to go back to Herod. Oh, I bet you they had that almost figured out themselves. Just watching and listening. They, they were, after all, wise men. Thank you. They were, after all, wise men. I, I want to talk a little bit about this, this fight against of good versus evil. Because I want to ask you the question... How does the goodness of God overcome the evil in this world? This is the important part. If you fell asleep, wake up. Okay? This is the important part. This is how God overcomes evil in our world. You ready? This is the new awakening. So wake up. It's a new awakening. You ready? First of all, through the actions of believers. Through the actions of believers. It's time to get involved. If you're sitting on the fence, it's time to get involved. You're never going to see the fullness of God's power in your life if you just sit in the pew. You'll never see God overcome evil in powerful ways if you're sitting on the fence instead of jumping into the action. You all who watched the Steelers game, you watched on your televisions, and some of you got up and screamed and yelled, and some of you shook your heads, and if you're Bengals fans here, I'm sorry. (laughs) But the bottom line is, you weren't in the game. You were just watching. Could you make a difference? You're yelling. Did it change anything? You're jumping up and down. You're yelling at the ref. You're saying the ref made a bad call. I don't know what you said. I I didn't watch the game. I watched hockey, believe it or not. But uh, you did all that. But unless you're in the game, you don't make a difference. Just think about this. Daniel. Daniel, hundreds of years before. I want you to think of how God works. You say, well, I've, you know, tried to get in the game. and I, I just don't feel like I make a difference. How do you know? Daniel, hundreds of years before, and God was working through all that. You keep praying for your children, for your grandchildren, for your great-grandchildren. You say, well, I don't even have kids yet. Yeah, start praying for them now. They're going to need it. Say, I'm not going to have kids. All right, pray for somebody else's kids. (laughs) But begin to pray. This world is getting more and more evil, and the, the power of God does not diminish in light of the power of evil. It continues to increase. And you look at the story and you say, yeah, but Herod was able to do this, and Herod was able to do that. But you see, God was still on the throne, and he had the wise men come to, to, to proclaim that his son had been born, that there was a new order, a new king. And that king was going to make a difference. 
And by the way, notice who went. Those foreigners, those pagans. You say, I, I don't think I make a difference. God, you know, God wants to work through you. I don't care how bad you are. You say, well, I'm not the best person to do that. I don't have those gifts. I don't. Wait a minute. God can use you. Jesus is still at work. And if you're willing to be used by him, this is what Jesus said. If, if the disciples don't proclaim him, the stones are going to proclaim him. You have a choice. But I'd much rather proclaim him. And let the stones take the, the, the fun in life. Second of all, I want you to see that if you really want this new awakening, you can, the, the good that overcomes evil is the worship of believers. The worship of believers. I want to talk about worship just a minute. We've got a few extra minutes. I, I got, did I use all my extra minutes last week? I don't remember. Nah, not even close. Um, I want you to think about what worship really is all about. You all came to worship this morning. I, I, I just wonder, when you came, what were you expecting? Um, a lot of people come to worship to hear great preaching. Praise God. I'm not sure they do, but they, that's what they come for. A lot of people come to worship because they like the music. A lot, of, a lot of people come to worship, and we've talked about this before, a lot of people come to worship to see what they can get. I want you to think about the wise men a minute. When they went to worship... Um, and by the way, the, the person there, uh, Joseph didn't say, um, you know, uh, none of you brought chocolate. You see, what worship is really all about is your willingness to give. That's what worship's all about. You're coming and offering to God. It's not about what you can get. It's about what you can give to our Savior this morning. So I want want to ask you this question. You walked in here. What did you bring to offer him this morning? Well, I was was on my way here and I thought, well, you know, let's see. I got a couple pennies in my pocket. Maybe I'll give that to him. Or maybe I was on my way to worship and I I thought maybe I could... I could offer him uh, at least 15 minutes, and, but if the sermon goes over, then I'll just complain. What, what, what do you offer? What did you bring to offer Jesus this morning? The, the wise men had their, their gold and their frankincense and their myrrh. Um, Gifts that had deep meaning, by the way, and quite frankly, gifts that God used in a powerful way. Do you understand, when they offered those gifts, when the, when the Holy Family had to run to Egypt, how do you suppose they afforded that? Well, because God had provided it through the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. It's no mistake. When you offer to God, God takes those gifts and he uses them. Whatever you brought this morning, this morning what he really wants is your heart. And if you offer to him your heart, then you'll begin to see him work in your life in powerful ways. And those powerful ways will overcome all the evil that comes your way. You'll say, yeah, but my life is hard, but still I believe. And I've seen God at work. And you put your trust in him and you'll see him work over and over and over again. Why? Because you offer to him. Not because you wait with open arms seeing what he's going to give to you you we get so confused jesus said it's better to give than to receive really yet the truth of the matter is we understand that around christmas time don't we i don't know about you i mean some of the younger people may not feel this way but i'd much rather give a special gift and see the reaction than to get something myself 
As a matter of fact, I'm kind of an introvert and I don't really like to be the center of attention. So if you give me something, I, I, I kind of shrivel up. But if I have something special for you, I am like fired up. And, and by the way, uh, in worship, you can, you can almost tell that as people walk in. You can tell which ones came to give and which came to receive, especially when they leave. Because people who came to, to give are all excited when they leave. People who came to receive are sometimes disappointed because they sometimes didn't get as much out of the sermon as they thought they should or they didn't get as much out of the worship as they thought they should or they didn't get what they really thought they needed for the week. Worship is all about giving. Apostle Paul wrote this, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. There was a song when I was, this is a real old song, when I was young, called I'm Yours, Lord. I'll I'll never forget, the church I went to, the pastor had six daughters, and they'd sing this, and and it was just awesome. But it went like this, I'm yours, Lord, everything I have, everything I've got, everything I'm not, I'm yours, Lord. Try me now and see. See if I can be completely yours. Powerful song. Worship's all about giving. You want to see evil overcoming your life? Continue to give to God. Continue to give to God. Just keep giving to God. You watch. He will be victorious in your life. And lastly, if you really want to experience uh, the overcome, the victory over evil, um, then believe in God's plan. Believe in God's plan. If you have not caught the awesomeness of God's plan this morning, I have failed. I want you to think about this. In order for that star to be in the right place at the right time, God had to decide that well before he even began creating the heavens and the earth. Think about that. In order to have the Magi ready to go at just the right time, God had to send Daniel through the fall of Jerusalem, which for the Jews was the greatest tragedy that ever took place. And yet it was through that tragedy that God put Daniel in just the right spot so that he could talk to the Magi who would eventually find their way to Bethlehem. Is that not awesome? That's the kind of God we have. You see, he had in mind for you today to come to worship. You say, no, I just came today because I was invited. No, God, long time ago, knew that you would be in worship this morning. This is what he wants you to hear. He wants you to hear that he loves you so much that he sent his son, Jesus, the Christ to come to this earth to overcome evil in your life and it begins by opening your heart to him and as you open your heart to him and ask him to forgive you of all the things you've ever done wrong he comes in and he begins to do that right away and he can do that because he came to this earth and he died for you in in your place the scripture tells us that the wages of sin is death in other words if you've ever done anything wrong ever thought anything wrong ever said anything wrong ever did anything wrong you fall short of god's glory in other words you are forever alienated from him unless unless someone would die in your place that's exactly what jesus did he died he lived a perfect life and he died for you and for me, so that we could be forgiven, so that evil could be overcome in our lives. That's an incredible plan. That's the plan for your life and for my life. But here's the thing. It's only the plan for your life if you're willing to accept it. And it only will find its fullest power if you'd be willing to follow it. Follow that plan for your life. That plan God has 
for you. What's amazing is if you're willing to do that, the scripture says we are more than conquerors, more than conquerors, overcomers. When evil faces us, we can say, I stand for the force. I stand for the Christ, the greatest gift this world has ever seen or will ever see. God's plan is like a movie. All the good and bad things are arranged together for a good ending if you're willing to be a part of his plan. It's the same story, folks. It's our story this morning. Are you willing to be wise enough to seek the Christ child? To seek the Lord Jesus? To seek the Savior? Let's bow for a word of prayer. Lord Jesus, when we look at the evil of this world, our hearts sometimes become downhearted. When we see the evil in this world, Lord, sometimes we, we shiver and, and shake our heads and wonder where it'll all end. And Lord, for some here this morning, as they looked at the evil that's happening to them right now, they were almost ready to give up. And you brought them here this morning. Lord, we want to thank you that your plan is to overcome the evil in our lives. And we pray this morning that you would help us. That you would help us come before you and stand before you and listen to your voice and respond as you call us. That we would be active in your kingdom. That we would not sit back and wait for others, but that we would step out in faith as you call us. Lord, wherever you should call us, however you would call us, help us to be ready to follow you that we might see you overcome the evil around us. Lord Jesus, as we stand in this place, we ask that you would help us to let go, to let go of those things we're holding on to that keep us from being all that you've called us to be, that, that hold us back from seeing your victory in our lives because we're trying to gain or we're trying to get. Lord Jesus, this morning, we, we just ask that you'd help us let go, that we might try to give, that our lives might truly be centered on you. Lord Jesus, this morning, we pray that your plan would be apparent to us. We pray for those who haven't said yes this morning. Lord, right now we pray that their hearts would be tugging, pulling them to say yes, and that they would not hold back. Lord Jesus, remind them of your incredible love. That this isn't really just a story. That this is the truth. Thank you for being here this morning. We worship you our Savior and Lord. Amen. And the crowd asked Peter after he got done with his sermon, uh, Brother, what must we do to be 